Welcome to the 437th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thanks for listening. Well, on the road to Leadville, there's always a few bumps. So there was a little overtraining ankle incident, arch incident, uh, tendons in my foot incident. Lasted about a week, 10 days. Um, and now I have a little back incident. So what I did to deserve this one, I, um, well, multitude of things, but uh, over overuse. And I think that uh, perhaps my quads are a little stronger than my hamstrings because I've been so afraid of all the things I hear about going up and down hills in Leadville that I've been strengthening my quads so much that I've kind of ignored my hamstrings. So bad on me. Uh, so a little bit on the tight side. Good news is it doesn't hurt when I walk on a 15% grade or try to run on a 15% grade going up uh, on my treadmill, so I can do that. So I kind of have to do a little bit more aggressive uh, therapy on myself, like I tell everybody else, get those bird dogs going more aggressively, the planks, uh, the wall stretch for my hip flexors, and uh, work on some glute strengthening and ham strengthening. So uh, hamstring strengthening. So I'm going to be doing more of that work uh, as we narrow down into the start of the Silver Rush 50, July 8th. So I'm hoping to get um, a couple more longish runs in. Um, so I'm going to go into this probably with less mileage than I would have hoped. I'm hoping that the previous 50 miles gave me something in the bank. Um, better to go in healthy than to go in hurt, so that's the goal, but we're still on. As many of you know, um, the German Shepherd that barks in the background, not this one that you just heard, Sophie, but Gretchen, our older dog, passed away uh, this last week. Um, she had a progressive neuropathy that German Shepherds get. If you have two <coughs> genes, uh, you're uh, 100% to get that if you're a German Shepherd, uh, which is a progressive weakness of the back legs that goes up the spinal cord. She got to the point where she couldn't really get around without struggling a whole lot, so uh, we made the decision uh, to say goodbye. It was interesting, um, interesting, poetic, I don't know what you call it, but it was certainly a sad time, and we were in the vet's office, and... Um, the vet tech brought in a package of chocolate donuts. Um, my nurse Dawn came with me to um, say goodbye to Gretchen. And we looked at her, because I was wearing a shirt that said Jamie Delaney, plant-based MD. And, she, and I said, no, thank you. And she said, oh, they're not for you, they're for Gretchen, because dogs can't eat chocolate, but on their last day, they should get a treat. Gretchen never lost her appetite, but she looked at those donuts and she like, yeah, that's not what I'm used to eating, but nevertheless, I do think she enjoyed them. We have been very impressed with the breeder um, that we got Sophie from, and really, thanks to her, Gretchen got three or four more good years of life. Gretchen was a rescue German Shepherd, so we didn't know much about her background. And when I first got her, she was eating, uh, well, I was feeding her and my other dog vegan. And Gretchen um, had a terrible bout of pancreatitis, a couple bouts of pancreatitis, and we almost lost her. Um, it was 
probably a little over three years ago, and the traditional vet really didn't have much to offer. And that's kind of when we met uh, along those same lines. We um, met our new breeder when we, when we lost our dog, Samantha. And she talked to us about um, and gave us references uh, for eating raw uh, and going to a more um, species-specific diet. And I do believe that's what allowed Gretchen to live, you know, three more years without any more stomach issues. So she had no further episodes of pancreatitis. So sometimes people debate me online that dogs can be vegan and dogs are omnivore. But in Gretchen's case, she really did do a whole lot better being a carnivore uh, and enjoyed it. So we gave her three years of happiness uh, eating a species-specific diet. I also gave her turmeric as a supplement twice a day, and I do believe that helped her um, and the neuropathy to progress a little bit slower, perhaps, uh, or at least she didn't have any pain. So that all was good. Um, because we're, um, you know, so respectful of the breeder, and, and the place we got Sophie is Ruskin House of Shepherds. So if you want to go online, I believe they're fifth in the country for German Shepherd breeding and quality and uh, paying specific attention to hips and genetics and so forth. But um, we called her up because Gretchen was actually my mom's dog and um, stayed with my mom and my mom wanted a companion. Um, so we asked uh, her if she had an older dog. So last weekend we actually um, adopted or maybe he adopted us um, a black German Shepherd that's a little over a year old um, named Threo. Um, and Threo had been... Um, repossessed, so to speak, by the breeder because he wasn't being treated appropriately. Um, so we have 3 and um, so he's adjusting to our house, and we're adjusting to him. He's a nice boy. Um, obviously, we've, you know, turned back the clock, and we have some training to do, but hopefully all will go well with 3 and Sophie and uh, our cat, Tony. So as I speak during this podcast, you hear Sophie, who wants me to throw a blue ball for her, and 3-0 is sitting in front of me, and the cat is sitting to the side of me. So right now, we're one big happy family, um, just like any blended families that can change from time to time. So um, I hope things work out for all of us. I have a member of the practice who has some macular degeneration. I have several people that have had macular degeneration over the years, and they're prescribed vitamins by their ophthalmologists. And they're usually combo vitamins, and often I get asked, you know, should I take these or not? And um, we looked into some of them, and they're a combination usually of lutein, um, uh, xanthan, and um, vitamin E, and zinc. And zinc, the, and vitamin C. And the, you know, so plant-based sources of lutein and xanthan are, are very, very um, easy to get it obtain uh, dark greens, peas, yellow squash, pumpkin, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, asparagus, lettuce, carrots, pistachios, um, very high sources of all those. So somebody that eats a whole food plant-based diet is getting plenty of those. Um, but when it comes to, uh, and vitamin C was 500 milligrams, so that's basically five servings of fruit a day. And um, I would hope that all of my members are getting five servings of fruit a day. I know I do, and uh, actually, if you want to be healthy, you should too. 
So that takes care of vitamin C, and of course, you know, vitamin C is in a lot of other things, uh, such as peppers and tomatoes. So there's, it's pretty easy to get a hold of vitamin C. Um, so I don't think that's um, something, you know, that 500 milligrams of a supplement will do. Uh, and then zinc was the other one. So the RDA for zinc is eight milligrams. And um, they um, suggested that people get 80 milligrams of zinc. So that would be more of a therapeutic dosage of zinc as opposed to a RDA or, um, you know, the recommended daily allowance of RDA. So I went hunting in a plant-based diet for zinc sources. And, you know, again, eating a plant-based diet, we kind of trickle in nutrients as opposed to have them in one food. But um, beans have a little, legumes, hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, they're the highest zinc foods. But still, we're talking, um, you know, uh, pretty low milligrams, two to three milligrams per serving. So just like if you're trying to use zinc as an antiviral um, or, you know, when people use zinc uh, in the treatment of COVID, um, you're looking for higher doses. So an 80 milligram dose, you're probably going to need a supplement. But again, I am not a fan of things put together because, you know, um, you don't need the vitamin C in that dose. You don't need the xanthan and lutein in those doses. So um, a lot of money often for things you don't really need. So just like when I look at um, the way a salad dressing is made, if there's something that I'm interested in or a sauce, I always look at the ingredient list and see what is there that I like, what is there that I don't want, and then I recreated uh, eliminating the things that I don't want. I saw, um, I was taking my um, people shopping and I came across um, well, a couple things. One was uh, I didn't know existed. Um, Chick-fil-A sells their special sauce in the supermarket. And the funny thing, when we turned it around, there was actually 70 calories per serving, but 72 calories came from fat. So um, somebody hadn't caught their label was fudged to start with. But the first ingredient was canola oil. And when I picked it up, a lady was passing by, and she says, oh, I love that stuff. And I was like, it's canola oil uh, with some spices in it, basically. Um, so a lot of things, if you really looked at the ingredients, you probably wouldn't be too interested in it. Went down another aisle, and, and this woman was picking up a taco seasoning um, um, you know, packet. And again, they're not, you know, I, I forget if it was a couple dollars anyway, and most of the packets are mainly salt with, you know, a little bit of something else in it, so maybe a little paprika, a little bit of cumin. So it's stuff that you would always use, but a lot of filler, and salt's usually the filler, onion powder's usually a filler, um, and you don't need those stuff. Same way with any of the gravy packets, you know. I mean, it's just uh, goofy stuff that you really don't need. But it's also a way to learn how to put seasonings together. So if you're in an Asian aisle and you look at what's in something, you can see the spices that are in Asian things. And, you know, on the uh, Mexican aisle, you can see what they put in their taco sauces and in their salsa. So you can use those things and, and put them together how you need them. So do the same thing with vitamins, I guess, is the bottom line. Uh, or supplements. If you're going to use a supplement as a therapeutic like vitamin C, you can't get 25 grams or 20 grams in through fruits and vegetables, you're going to have to take that as as a, as a um, 
uh, capsule or have an IV infusion. Uh, same way with zinc, same way with vitamin D. Which leads us to our next topic. Um, there was a uh, review looking at multiple vitamin D studies uh, uh, published and showed an overall decrease in uh, mortality of 12%. And people over 70 actually benefit more from vitamin D supplementation. Um, the ideal level is uh, uh, 60. So a normal level on a lab would be 22 uh, as a low, 100 as a high. Uh, 60 seemed to be the magic number uh, to decrease your risk of cancer, uh, improve your immune function. Uh, there was an 82% decrease in breast cancer if the level was greater than 60 versus less than 20, breast cancer recurrence, that is. Um, the RDA of vitamin D is only 600 international units daily, but an 80 if it's, it's 800 if you're over 70. Uh, but again, um, most people don't get the sun exposure that they need to make the vitamin D that they need that they actually need, especially as they get older and people go outside less. Um, people are scared to death of skin cancer. They're told by their dermatologist to cover up completely. So, you know, people are pale, don't get any sun, and their vitamin D is very low, and, and uh, their immune function starts to tank, so to speak. Uh, there was a study looking at vitamin D and how it actually works, and it basically works at the receptor level when you, make one, uh, when you convert vitamin D to 125-hydroxy vitamin D, which is the active form. It actually regulates cell proliferation, differentiation, cell survival. So when it comes to cancer cell, you know, you don't want your cancer cells proliferating or doubling. Uh, you would like them to be more differentiated, so more like normal cells versus cancer cells. Uh, and you would like the body to be able to kill those cells like you would kill an infection. So higher vitamin D level seems to work like that. It's been associated with decreased incidence of colorectal or um, um, colorectal cancer, breast cancer, bladder cancer, lymphoma cancer, and lung cancer. So, so people that have adequate levels seem to have less of those cancers than people that have low cancers. Um, better prognosis with breast cancer and colon cancer if the vitamin D levels have been increased. There was a study looking at 25,871 people um, and with a vitamin D um, being adequate, the uh, metastasis decreased by 17%. Um, if your body mass index was 30, then it actually, uh, I'm sorry, if your body mass index was normal, then there was actually a 30% decrease in uh, metastatic disease. There was, and case reports are certainly antidotal, but there was a lady, 83 uh, year old lady case report that had pancreatic cancer. As most of you know, pancreatic cancer has a dismal survival um, with current therapies. Um, it, a lot of times people live less than six months. Um, but this uh, lady was taking 50,000 international units daily, uh, and um, her level was greater than 150. And she was, you know, doing well, um, um, you know, well into her treatment. So I think she'd been over 10 months um, and was doing well. She also took uh, mushroom powder. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that um, even if you, you, even if you're using traditional therapies, um, these vitamins won't make things 
worse and they tend to make things better. So I would consider using them as an additional therapy uh, as well. We always worry about kidney stones and elevated levels of intake of vitamin D. Um, if your magnesium and K2 levels are okay, that's much less of a risk. Um, psoriasis is also improved by increasing levels of vitamin D. So um, I'm a proponent. Uh, I became a proponent of vitamin D um, during COVID. Uh, people did much better uh, if their vitamin D levels were better. And so, you know, I've always thought about it as being chicken and the egg, but as we get older, we tend to use more of these um, vitamins and, and minerals and probably take in less. So um, I think there's a role for supplementation. And speaking of less and more, as we get older, we tend to increase our fat mass and decrease our muscle mass. And the question is, is muscle mass a better predictor of longevity than body mass index? And so there was a study done uh, with a national health and nutrition survey uh, looking at people um, for 13 years, and they divided them into quartiles as far as their muscle mass goes. And so how they did that, they looked at things like diabetes and um, they controlled for heart disease and, and other things, but they looked at body mass index um, and they looked at um, waist versus hip ratio and then they calculated muscle mass and they used the muscle mass as um, a bioelectrical impedance type scale. So um, it's kind of one you put your feet on and it measures the water and the, and the density and you have your hands. And um, so that's how they, they did a calculation to measure muscle mass. The more most accurate would be to do a DEXA scan, which involves radiation, it costs more. And so this, because this was, um, you know, uh, such a large number of people, obviously that didn't happen. So they, they went back and used these calculations. So the question is, is body mass index, which is different from body composition because of muscle mass, which is a better predictor? We know that waist versus hip ratio is a good predictor um, of things like metabolic syndrome and um, overall mortality. If you look at a waist greater than 88 centimeters for women and greater than 102 centimeters for men, that is considered obese. If you have a bigger waist than your hips, um, that is considered uh, to be a sign of more central fat, so more fat around the organs, which is why it is thought to be much more risky. However, it's sometimes hard to get an accurate measurement, and it's sometimes hard to repeat the measurement depending on you know um, who's doing the measurement and where they put the and where the waist is. You know, the bigger you are, the harder it is to find uh, waist versus hip. One thing that's also interesting is that um, you can be skinny and have an increased waist to hip ratio, um, making it abnormal. Um, people that smoke tend to have an abnormal waist-to-hip ratio. Diabetics tend to have an abnormal waist-to-hip ratio. Um, so, you know, people with skinny arms, skinny legs uh, tend to have a bigger waist um, than hips, and that is a risk factor. 
So when they did the calculation for muscle mass and they divided into quartiles, what they found was that the lowest versus the highest, there was a significant um, uh, difference in mortality. So uh, the more muscle mass you had uh, between the highest and the lowest, the better that you did as far as longevity goes. And they even had people at the end of the study that were over 100 years old. Uh, they controlled for other risk factors, so it wasn't, um, you know, like a population was uh, skewed in one way. We do know that the, uh, this particular survey tends to attract people that live a healthier lifestyle, tend to be more educated probably. Um, so even the fact, that, you know, that would, to me, make it even more uh, interesting because you have people that are more active that tends to be, you know, have more muscle anyway. So uh, the fact that it still uh, showed an improvement uh, with muscle mass, the, the more muscle mass over time, I think it's even more remarkable because you had somewhat of a healthy population to start with. So there was a difference in all-cause mortality, uh, 58 versus 41% from the lowest to the highest muscle mass. Interestingly, BMI did not prove uh, to show a difference in all-cause mortality. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Increased muscle mass means more mitochondria, more ability to metabolize energy, to utilize energy, to apply energy to your brain, to your heart. Um, and so that translates into uh, in improved health and improved health span. So not only are people going to do better if they have a little bit of muscle mass, they're going to get around better, less chance of falling, less chance of breaking something, um, but more metabolic, but an improved metabolic health as well. On the other side of the coin, when they looked at obese people versus uh, low weight people, um, unless someone was morbidly obese, um, the weight didn't, didn't really trans, um, translate into a worse mortality level. So um, again, it depends on muscle mass more so than just body composition seems to be more important than uh, just overall body mass index. So go pump some iron or be active. And, you know, so um, this next person that I came across, um, an 87-year-old gentleman by the name of Martin Harvey, uh, set a Guinness Book, Book World Record at 87 for um, the record of the Lejeune Crossing. Um, and that is the lands into John O'Grady crossing from, which is basically the length of Great Britain Island from the most southwest corner to the most northeast corner. Um, and um, so he did it in one, or I'm sorry, but he did it in 14 days, uh, 1,020 miles, uh, which is pretty incredible. Um, his story goes that he was uh, an avid, avid cyclist in his younger years, especially when he was in his teens and early 20s, got married, had a family, um, quit cycling, uh, did some other things, um, tennis sports, things like that. Um, he and his wife were avid gardeners, but his wife passed away when he was 62, so he took up cycling to pass the time and to get back out. Uh, and one thing led to another. He started doing more and more miles. He was doing like 150 miles a week. He still does 150 miles a week on his bike. Um, and his daughters actually accompanied him. They were 60 uh, on this trek, and they were glad that they trained. Uh, Dad seemed to fare better than the daughters um, with regards to uh, 
uh, getting through it without much, much difficulty. And there's some elevation gain too. So uh, hats off to Martin Harvey. You know, it goes to show you that, uh, again, um, you don't just have to fold up once you retire. Uh, you can take on new adventures and the sky's the limit. You know, you put your head, um, you know, a can-do attitude, so to speak. And I guess last but not least, or uh, coming to a close, um, I don't know if any of you saw, Jenny McCall was on the um, primetime Ninja Warrior show um, this past week. You, know, you can pull up the YouTube uh, video of it. It's on Instagram. But Jenny McCall uh, is the 71-year-old lady I had on the podcast a, f- a few months ago that uh, couldn't do a pull-up when she was 65. Her daughter's a Ninja Warrior, and her daughter says, you know, Mom, you need to learn to do that. And so she started doing pull-ups, and next thing you know, she started doing Ninja Warrior um, competitions locally and um, then regionally and, um, you know, has done more and more and uh, actually uh, got on the Primetime Ninja Warrior um, Challenge and was able to complete one and got to the second um, um, obstacle before she fell in the water. But the first one was you run and jump and grab this um, long uh, flagpole that's swinging and it swings over the water and you have to make your way to the end to get to the other side and then you have to climb up this um, set of mats and grab and jump and grab a hold of this um, you know two pieces of um, material and swing down uh, they call it a roller coaster and and dismount and she kind of got stuck at the end, but she hung there for quite a long time, back and forth, trying to get it so that she could get enough of a swing to get over it and finally dropped into the water. Uh, her daughter was there cheering her on. Uh, she was very gracious and smiling. She was happy for the opportunity to do it. Um, she's ripped. I mean, she is, you know, she's one of the best. Talk about body composition. She's got it going on at 71, um, forced to be reckoned with. So kudos to Jenny McCall and her daughter. It was, you know, great to see her and her, her, and her daughter interact and her daughter cheering her on and coaching her. And, you know, they were happy. It's, a, you know, again, a huge demonstration of a positive mental attitude. So, you know, between her and uh, Martin Harvey, you know, I, 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 you know, I look for people like that uh, to keep me going and keep me motivated. I look to young people to see what they're doing and try to emulate it. Yeah, I get myself into some fixes sometime with uh, overdoing it. But when I do that, you know, I kind of have to reassess and see. It's uh, To me, it's interesting to figure out what I'm doing wrong and to find the imbalances and to correct them. And I learn from them. And it helps me in my practice, um, you know, help other people get past some of their um, niggles and injuries that they get along the way. Uh, My nurse Dawn always tells people, and I can hear her when she's in the room assessing people, that don't worry, Dr. Delaney can help you figure it out because if there's an injury, she's had it. Um, So I'm kind of an experiment of one, so to speak, on pushing myself, but I like to figure out the why. Uh, And that drives me more than anything. Why did this happen? And what can I do to make it not happen again? Um, I don't always listen to my own advice. Uh, you know, I slacked off on my mobility for a few days, increased my volume and, you know, um, started to get in a little bit of a a jam, but, um, I'm learning from it. Uh, I'm stronger for it. I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm getting stronger for this, uh, 
upcoming race, so we'll see where it goes, but uh, we're going give it, to give it our all, and, you know, we might have to pick up the pieces and go again, but uh, rest assured there'll be a go again if need be, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's hot and humid here in Florida. The humidity is, you know, not only do we have our own personal saunas, but um, it's a great way to, heat training is a great way to practice for the altitude somewhat. Um, so, you know, we're getting out and, and uh, getting the humidity training and heat training. So um, it helps to, and, and one of the reasons is that, you know, you have to, the hydration issue uh, is much more difficult when um, it's hot out and you're losing a lot of fluids with the humidity. The other thing that happens when you're exercising in hot, humid conditions is your heart rate tends to go up quicker. Um, so you can't go as fast because your heart rate's going up quicker. So you're getting more into that acid production. So you've got to kind of back it down a little bit and adjust. And, and that's going to happen when we get to altitude as well. Um, because the oxygen um, pressure is less, um, we're going to have to sl slow down. So when I look at my... Um, my paces now, um, I'm comparing them to, you know, what they'll be or what they might be and, and trying to make, you know, adjustments for that. When I'm on the treadmill uh, at 15%, I'm trying to get to that pace where I can to see how long I can maintain those levels, um, but to get to a pace that's going to allow me to, you know, keep ahead of the uh, people pulling people off the course called the sweepers. So if you've not been to one of these races, uh, that are timed events, you have so long to finish, uh, and there's a sweeper that comes along behind and pulls people off the course and basically said, you're not going to make it. So the only way I'm stopping is if the sweeper says, I got to go. Um, so I'm going to, you know, again, my goal is to, to stay ahead of the sweeper, uh, to keep setting an example for what can be done, um, uh, and to keep, to keep healthy. I do take vitamin D. I take it five days a week. I want my level to be 50 to 60. Um, I don't take vitamin C on a regular basis, only if I start to get sick. Um, same way with zinc, I don't take that on a regular basis, only if I start to get sick. Uh, eyes are good. So um, that's, you know, I take a B12 a few times a week. Um, I do do nutritional yeast, so um, that all uh, keeps my B12 level good. So those are the, those are the important things um, as far as supplementation that I do. I do use turmeric. Uh, if I have any kind of niggles or inflammation, I use turmeric as my anti-inflammatory. I will be taking that on the race with me uh, to take during the day for aches and pains and to decrease inflammation. I also believe that turmeric decreases your incidence of cancer, can hurt, might help. Uh, same way with mushrooms. Again, I've said before, I eat them on s several times a week. Uh, I do soy milk um, as well as tofu uh, because I believe in the cholesterol-lowering benefits as well as the anti-cancer benefits of that. So those are my secrets or what I'm standing for, uh, and um, I'm not for gimmicks or gadgets or hacks, but um, I think if something's worth looking into and the whys, we're going to go after it. If you'd like to know more about our practice, you can go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com, and check out the website. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. It's J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com. And if you've noticed over the last 10 minutes, um, my dogs aren't barking anymore. Everybody is calm. So everybody's laying around, slowing down for the evening. Uh, um, so... 
fingers crossed that our blended family continues to mold together good and um, get out there and get some sunlight, get some exercise, lift some heavy things, and life will be good. Thanks for listening as always. Good night.